0: It's so good for each of us to come together this evening to appreciate the blessing and how rich it is at that that we have the opportunity to gather in the name of Jesus Christ our Lord, certainly as we appreciate the chilliness outside, how thankful we can be for the warmth and for the convenience and for the place that we have to meet like we have tonight. I thought for the next few moments we would give some thought to that text in Acts chapter 16, the one that deals with Lydia, and in fact, that's the title, as you can see, of the lesson this evening. I would suggest that perhaps after a brief introduction, we might give some thought first to the setting of the passage, and following that, to several lessons or applications at least that might be of benefit to you and me. Let's begin with some of these remarks. As we study the Bible, isn't it still a fascinating thing that in the ancient past there were some people who lived and the Holy Spirit saw fit to preserve forever the record of those people? Of all the billions of folks who have lived on the earth, and yet the Holy Spirit preserved the records of some, such as Lydia. This woman actually lived, and she did so under the character of that which we'll study tonight. And so if you'd be turning to Acts 16 we'll give some thought to these passages that share with us the record of a woman named Lydia. As we close that slide, you might notice we will, however, as the Holy Spirit no doubt would wish us to do, seek to learn some lessons from her life and be benefited by that study. First, the setting. In Acts chapter 16, we come across that record that is one of the amazing features of the missionary journeys of Paul. Now, at this point, the second missionary journey is already underway. And as verse number 9 and following details, Paul comes to the location of which we're about to study. I would ask you to begin it like this. As Paul journeyed on that second journey, he arrived at a city known as Troas. And in that location, Paul, as he preached the gospel of Christ, he nonetheless received a vision And it was a vision that would make a colossal change in the rest of that missionary journey. Because in that vision, Paul saw a man who said, Come over into Macedonia and help us. Here was explicitly in the vision a person of that region on the planet known as Macedonia beseeching Paul to come and help them. The text is rather clear in saying we immediately endeavored to follow the instructions of the vision. And so, you'll notice Paul and his company sought to travel to, Ma- to the area of Macedonia. Isn't it interesting, as you'll notice next on the slide, they not only came into that region, but the chief city of that region, known as Philippi, they also came to that city. Now, historically, Philippi was a well-known Roman colony. In fact, it was a centerpiece in that part of the Roman Empire. And yet as Paul and his companions came there, you may immediately notice it was customary for Paul to go into the synagogue, but he didn't on this occasion. Have you ever wondered why? In almost all the places where we read about these missionary journeys, Paul would first enter into the synagogue. He would preach and teach to those as Jews who were therein assembled, And if opportunity presented, he soon, of course, would avail himself to preach to the Gentiles. But on this occasion, there's no record he entered the synagogue. At this point, you and I could speculate, maybe there was no synagogue in Philippi. We don't know. At the very least, this much we can say, Paul didn't abandon the opportunity to find precious folk to whom to preach. He went to the river. did not that make you scratch your head? He went to the river and he found some people, but they were women. There were a group of ladies assembled at the riverside and they were assembled to pray and to worship. And Paul spoke to them. Doesn't that, among other things, highlight that men and women both need the gospel? Here were these women assembled by the river there in the city of Philippi. And Paul preached to them and one of the ladies thereupon gathered was a woman named Lydia. The text is interesting as you and I take up verse 14. It says, And a certain woman named Lydia, a seller of purple of the city of Thyatira, which worshipped God, heard us, whose heart the Lord opened, that she attended unto the things which were spoken of Paul. And when she was baptized in her household, she besought us, saying, If ye have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come into my house and abide there. And she constrained us. And at that point, you perhaps begin to notice, among those to whom Paul preached, we have only record about Lydia. But she was overwhelmingly receptive to the message of the truth. The text says that not only did she give attendance to it, she was baptized. Also, her household was baptized. And amazingly enough... You notice that she even insisted that Paul and his companions, which would have included Luke, that they would actually abide or dwell with her in her house. In fact, as you'll notice verse number 40, you'll notice she's mentioned again. It says, And they went out of the prison and entered into the house of Lydia. And when they had seen the brethren, they comforted them and departed. Needless to say, The church in Philippi, inasmuch as it was planted, Lydia was one of the foundational planks. Now we know that she wasn't the centerpiece, she wasn't the preacher for example, but she, along with a jailer who would be converted in the verses that follow, they formed the nucleus of that first century church in the city of Philippi. Now, when we arrive at the book of Philippians, we begin to notice that church is one of the grandest ones in the New Testament. In that, Paul highly complimented them. They were faithful, they were benevolent, they were dedicated to the Lord. And it all began in part with the work of a woman named Lydia, a jailer who also, of course, was converted there, and a damsel girl out of whom Paul had cast a spirit of divination what seemed like such a meager beginning to the church in Philippi, blossomed into a powerful, benevolent, and evangelistic congregation in the first century era. As impressive as that is, why don't we close this slide and begin to make some applications from what we've just read concerning Lydia. To do that, I thought perhaps this map could be of some assistance to us. It's a map, as the title suggests, which actually details for us the second missionary journey of Paul. As you trace it from the city of Antioch, which is about the middle of the map on the far right, that's where the sponsoring congregation was, and that's where the journey began. Paul traveled northward and and westward, passing through Derby, Lystra, and Iconium, which was, of course, Asia Minor's contribution, made his way to Troas. And it's at Troas he received that vision. Come over to Macedonia and help us. And you notice... He proceeded immediately to those cities up to the far left on that map, one of which was Philippi. And it's there where Lydia was, and it's there where these other things of which we've just noted. As you can see, that missionary journey had a lot more to take place, but those other cities at least won't be a part of our study tonight. Point number one. You and I, though we may not have appreciated it first, this was a rather monumental occurrence in the Bible. For the first time in all of recorded history, the gospel had made its way to European soil. Remember, all the chapters prior to this one had been centered in Asia. Jerusalem was in Asia, Antioch was in Asia, Samaria was in Asia, and all of them had been the centerpieces. And yet, for the first time on the second missionary journey, the gospel came to that continent that you and I call Europe because Philippi was in Europe. Maybe you and I can use this to then at least ponder about this lesson. What was it that the continent of Europe most needed? Was it more military armament? Was it greater educational strength? Was it a stronger economy? What Europe needed... The thing asked for in that Macedonian call, Paul, come over and help us. Bring us the gospel. What Europe most needed was still what every state, what every nation, what every people still need most. It's the message of truth. It's the gospel of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. What Europe most needed was this. Aren't you also a bit impressed that as that was called upon, Notice some of those verses at the bottom. Righteousness exalteth a nation, but sin is a reproach to any people, to borrow the wording of Proverbs 1434. The continent of Europe, when you begin to ponder some of the other New Testament references, now Rome, of course, was in Europe, and later, what a great effort was going to be invested by Paul to help establish a congregation in Rome. And you can think of other cities as well, such as Thessalonica. It too was in in the nation of Europe. But for the first time, the gospel came to Philippi. One more thing. In 1 Timothy 2, verses 1 and 2, We are admonished, all of us as faithful Christians, to pray with great supplication and energy for kings and all that are in authority, that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and honesty. You and I should then have an intense interest, as we are off to do here, to pray not only for our leaders here in America, but to pray for leaders worldwide. All of them need our prayers. Point number two. In addition to these, could I invite you to at least notice the providence of God as it is seen in this episode of the New Testament? Quite often, the providence of God is something that seems a bit abstract. It seems a bit aloof. But you and I notice here something was very dramatically practical about this. Why don't we begin by noting this. When Paul, on this second missionary journey, when he received that Macedonian call while he was in Troas, what was the source of that call? God gave him a vision. The source was God. God allowed Paul to appreciate this vision in which he saw a Macedonian man beseeching him, imploring him that he might come, but that isn't all. You'll notice perhaps what almost seems an incidental statement. Could I call to your attention verse 11? Therefore, loosing from Troas, we came with a straight course to and the next day to Neapolis. Now, as Paul left Troas, the Holy Spirit recorded these words, We came with a straight course. But you remember that that in part included a journey by way of sea. That means there was no wind that sidetracked them, There was no difficulty in terms of shipwreck or hazardous means. We were able with straight course, with good winds in other words, to come to the place we needed to be. Doesn't that sound to you like God was assisting on that journey to Philippi? He was in essence motivating and moving things such that they were able to make it in a very efficient and timely way. Again, God's providence in action. It's at that point you and I might notice How often we saw in the New Testament events somewhat reminiscent of this one. At the conversion of Cornelius, you and I might remember there were two visions involved in that one. Cornelius first received a vision in which he was told, You send men to Joppa and there find a man named Peter. I'll even tell you where he's staying. He was staying at a Simon the Tanner's house. Cornelius was told all of that. He knew exactly where to go to find Peter. But by the same token, Peter received a vision in which he saw a sheet lifted up and down three times. It was about that time there was a knock at the door. It was the very servants of Cornelius and Peter appreciated instantly he was supposed to go with them. Two visions took place in that. It was the will of God that the Gentiles hear the gospel It was the will of God that they have access to it. Isn't it amazing then you're the bottom? You and I can think today about the possibilities. Our God is great. Our God, in His providential means, can use the things made available to His cause to bring great good to the cause of Christ. For example, you and I here at the Pippin Church, we sponsor radio programs. Could it be on some occasion that God opens the heart of someone who just happens to turn on AM 920 just at the right time to hear a message you and I would sponsor? Or on Sunday morning that someone would hear exactly the message that they need to hear so that they could at least have opportunity to repent and come to know the God of heaven. We aren't always aware of the means our God might use, be it the example you and I might set, a radio program, or an article in the paper. Perhaps something that someone might witness in your life and mine. That highlights, among, among other things, the ongoing and always ever-present reality to live faithfully so that God can use us as instruments in His kingdom. In this occasion, Lydia was at the right place. Now in a moment, we're going to ask, what if she had failed to be there that Saturday? What if the other women had met, but she didn't? But she was there, and Paul was too. And she was able to hear the message he preached. And oh, how the Lord opened her heart. That does bring us to point number three. What else might we say about the reality of Lydia in this scene? In fact, that comment I just made perhaps is worthy of some more consideration. Isn't it interesting how we see in her a rather impressive commitment? You did notice it was ladies that were gathered. There were no men here. I don't know where the men were, the text doesn't say. Maybe they were assembled somewhere else for worship, but maybe they were not. At the very least, you and I can say, whatever was the disposition of the men, it did not deter Lydia, and it did not deter the other women. They gathered, they assembled, and they did so for this purpose. The text mentions both worship and prayer. They were assembled for a spiritual exercise. And it was so important that they were gathered. Though it may have been inconvenient, though it may have been a bit of sacrifice on their part, they nonetheless were assembled on this Sabbath on Saturday. You might appreciate furthermore One other thing is said about her in verse number 14. It says that she was of the city of Thyatira. Now be aware, Thyatira was 300 miles from Philippi. That's a long way. At some point in the past, it would seem she had moved from Thyatira to Philippi. But now, while here she was invested in the work of truth, she was invested in that which she understood to be right. She was pursuing those things characteristic of service beneath something besides the law of Christ. But yet she was faithful in that service. Maybe one final thing in that would be this Doesn't that beg a question of you and me? Would you and I be that faithful? If someone visits, our house, or perhaps we're on vacation, even while away, or do we still put the Lord first? When you and I go on vacation, do we make sure above all things else to find a congregation of the Lord's people there in that vicinity and make sure to gather with the saints on those locations? It would seem that at some point in the past, Lydia had moved again from Thyatira to Philippi, and she had maintained a degree of faithfulness and commitment to the Lord. That's a rather simple question that does challenge you and me. Would we have been like her in that regard? What about point number four? Doesn't it highlight something also about the nature of this woman in that notice what her occupation was. The text says she was a seller of purple. Immediately you and I noticed purple was that clothing worn by those that were wealthy. It was clothing worn by those that were often in positions of great leadership, such as kings and princes. They wore purple. Do you remember in Luke chapter 16? There's a statement about a rich man and Lazarus. May I invite us to recall what was it that the rich man was wearing? The text says he was clothed in purple. In other words, that's what rich people wore. Lydia perhaps was rather well-to-do. She worked in a particular profession that served those that were wealthy and maybe she had been advantage much by it. That still didn't stop her, though, from gathering on Saturday with those that she perceived to be right and worshiping. May you and I never allow wealth, however much God allows us to have, to come between us and God. Money is a fine thing as long as it's used rightly. Abraham was a rich man, Genesis chapter 18. In fact, so wealthy was he, he had 318 servants that he in fact utilized to assist him in recapturing Lot. But again, he was wealthy. The danger comes when we allow those riches to be our God. When we serve them instead of the God of heaven who gave them to us. When we start worshiping and serving the creature more than the Creator, Romans 1 verse 25, Then we have erred mightily. Lydia, though a seller of purple she was, she was nonetheless one whose heart apparently was in a direct and fertile way to be open for God. At that point, might we note this point. One other thing about this, didn't you notice? When she was converted, Paul didn't tell her she had to stop her stop working. There, suppose, I suppose, have been questions throughout at least the last century or so. Is it okay for a woman to work outside the home? Is it okay for a woman to have a secular occupation and job, or must she, to please God, always be simply at home? Be impressed, Lydia was a seller of purple. She worked outside the home, and Paul didn't tell her she had to stop that. The lesson seems to easily be this. It's not wrong for a woman to work outside the home, so long as, of course, the duties God has given her with respect to the home are taken care of. She is, of course, told to be keeper at home, Titus 2 verse 4, and she's told to guide the house, As long as a woman does that, and she is also able to successfully maintain a job outside the home, there isn't anything wrong with that. And Lydia, again, is an example of that very matter. That study perhaps leads us to another point. On this next slide, might I invite you to note this one. I suppose the single avenue, the single part of this whole episode that has been the source of the most controversy— is the one that I thought you and I should consider as well. Let me read it again in verse number 14. And a certain woman named Lydia, a seller of purple, of the city of Thyatira, which worshipped God, heard us whose heart the Lord opened, that she attended unto those things which were spoken of Paul. And you noticed it with me as I read it. It says, whose heart the Lord opened. Does that teach, then, that the Holy Spirit must work specifically and directly on a person's heart, opening it, if you please, in order for them to receive the Word of God? In other words, is, is there a direct measure of the Holy Spirit required in order for a person to understand the Bible? Those who are Pentecostal and those who fall into that line of thinking will often use a verse like this one and say, Well, there's the proof. Nobody can understand the Bible, so they say, or, in fact, receive the word of salvation, except God opens the person's heart in a special and direct way. That's not true. That isn't true at all. In fact, let us use this very passage to help highlight what was it that took place. You noticed it as I read it, but may I invite you to consider it again. It says in verse 14 which worshiped God, heard us. What is it Lydia did? She heard something. She heard the gospel of Christ. She heard the very message of truth that emanated from the lips of Paul. She heard the gospel preached. And there was no miraculous, direct, special measure, if you please, of the Holy Spirit. She heard what was taught and she attended to it. That's also in the next ver- in this verse in the next one. It says, particularly, "...whose heart the Lord opened, that she attended unto the things which were spoken." All we have in that passage is a man preaching, and she listened to what he said. And she responded in faith to it. There's no special direct measure of the Holy Spirit. In fact, if there were, that's a violation of other passages of the New Testament. I've listed some of them for your consideration. In Romans 2 verse 11, we have this explicit statement, God is no respecter of persons. Now may we be so brief as to say, if the Lord in some special direct way opened the heart of Lydia, but didn't open the hearts of the others, He showed respect to Lydia. And He violated the very passage used to describe Him in Romans 2 verse 11 in this very book known as the book of Acts, in chapter 10, verses 34 and 35, another passage that joins in the chorus of this discussion. There, as Peter preached to Cornelius and those gathered, he said, Of a truth I perceive, God is no respecter of persons, but in every nation he that heareth God and worketh righteousness is accepted of him. There's no direct measure there. But in every nation, no matter where, what nation, what language they speak, a person who hears what's taught and responds in faith, they're the ones pleasing to God. It is in that regard, may I invite you to notice First 1 Corinthians: 121. In that opening stanza of the First Corinthian letter, Paul, as he directed those words to that church in Corinth, it was to them that he said, through the foolishness of preaching god saves those that believe so what is it that does it did he say it's through direct measure of the holy spirit no he said through preaching lydia needed a preacher and paul sent or rather god sent paul to philippi come over to macedonia and help us and we see it all work together when paul saw that vision of the macedonian man beseeching him to come one of those blessed and benefited was not only the jailer in Philippi, it was also others such as Lydia. Lydia's heart was opened in exactly the same way that anybody's heart is open today. She had a heart that was fertile. You and I remember that when Jesus in Matthew 13 spoke about the soils, the parable of the soils, there was the wayside soil. There was the stony ground. There was the thorny soil. And thanks be to God, there was the fertile soil. Lydia was fertile soil. She was anxious and excited about truth. And when she heard it, she gave attendance to it. And she obeyed it. May God send to you and me, folks in our lives that have fertile soil, so that when we talk to them, speak to them, preach to them, when we share the message of truth with them, that they wouldn't just defensively ignore it, but they would have a heart that they'd be interested to study with us. A heart that they might receive an invitation to come and be a part of one of our worship services. Lydia had that kind of heart. The text says again in verse number 14, she attended unto the things which were spoken. What Paul preached, she soaked it up. And she attended to it. She obeyed it. It might well be that takes us to part number six. Point number six. In verse number 15, something is noted about her influence. And might we begin it like this. It says, When she was baptized... Now the fact she was assembling on Saturday suggests again that she was not worshiping in any way characteristic of the New Testament church for Christians worship on the first day of the week, not Saturday. And yet she was gathered apparently in the way she deemed to be right, but her heart was open to truth. And when she heard it, she immediately gave attendance to it. The text says, when she was baptized. One of the things Paul must have preached was baptism. One of the things in the message that Paul taught had to include baptism. It says, when she was baptized and her household. That leads us to additional questions. Were these other members of her household also gathered there or did she have to go back home and get them? We don't know. The text doesn't say. But this part seems clear enough. Lydia was influential enough over the other members of her household that when she obeyed the gospel, that example prompted them to consider it as well. And they too were baptized. Now notice, infants weren't baptized. There are some who like to use this and say, so babies out of Lydia's house were baptized. The text doesn't say that. It says her household. Maybe she had servants. Maybe she was wealthy enough to have slaves in essence, and maybe due to her influence, they were baptized upon hearing the gospel and obeying it. It may also be that perhaps she had kinfolk, family that were living in her household. Perhaps it refers to them. Whatever should be concluded is this. She was influential enough in the members of her household that they respected her. And when she obeyed the gospel, her influence led them to consider it and they chose to do the same. Would you and I be that influential? Would folks we know at work, do you carry enough weight due to your lifestyle and the same for me that others when they give consideration that they respect what you and I stand for? That's a lofty question, isn't it? And it's a question that's worthy of some serious reflection. Do you and I have a knowledge of the Bible sufficient to where? Maybe at work. Have you ever been in a position where others are having a conversation and something about the Bible comes up and they say, Let's go ask so-and-so. He or she knows the Bible. Always take that as a compliment if that happens. They respect your knowledge of and your understanding of and your givenness to the Bible sufficiently that they will come to you with a Bible question. I know many of us have been in circumstances like that. May I say, even if at that moment we can't recall the book, chapter, and verse, may we take serious enough the fact they asked that we find that answer and make sure to share it with them. Lydia was influential along that line, wasn't she? May I again say that the church that she became a part of, the church in Philippi, is one of the most highly commended congregations in the New Testament. In fact, could I invite you to notice this text in Philippians chapter 4. Remember the very congregation that Lydia was on the ground floor of helping to establish. In Philippians chapter 4 beginning in verse 9, these words written by Paul are to be noted. Those things which ye have both learned and received and heard and seen in me do, and the God of peace shall be with you. But I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at the last time, or rather at the last, your care of me hath flourished again, wherein you were also careful, but you lacked opportunity. That church, at least at one time, had lacked opportunity. But when the opportunity came, they were very benevolent, they were very evangelistic, and they were very much earnestly committed to serving out the things of the Lord. Later in that same chapter, verse 19 says, But my God shall supply all your need according to His riches in glory by Christ Jesus. Now you might even note the previous verse, verse 18. But I have, but I have all and abound. I am full, having received of Epaphroditus the things which were sent from you, an odor of a sweet smell, a sacrifice acceptable well-pleasing to God." May I again say that church was highly commended. It would certainly seem Lydia had a part in helping that congregation to grow and to be what it was supposed to be. And it all started from a fertile soil gathered on the banks of the river, detailed in Acts 16. Let's close our lesson tonight like this. I'll simply summarize those points by highlighting them one by one again, perhaps in some great brevity. The gospel had come to Europe. For the first time in all of history, the gospel was preached on the soil of Europe. And you and I know in the centuries that would follow, you and I remember that, wasn't it true that the pilgrims came from Europe and others that actually helped settle this land. And so in great historical feature, isn't it true that the gospel coming to Europe has redounded into the benefit of the whole earth. Point number two was this what great providence we see in the reality of not only the Macedonian call, but Paul making his way to Philippi and preaching and finding there the fertile soil and commitment of a woman named Lydia. Point number four was this one this woman of, that was originally a Thyatira, she did sell purple but she maintained a commitment first and foremost to God despite what wealth she had. The last two points were these. When the Lord opened her heart, it was opened simply as she had a desire and earnestness to hear the preaching of Paul and to be attentive to it. For it still is true that faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God, Romans ten seventeen. And finally... We closed our lesson by simply highlighting the influence that she had that not only was she obedient to the gospel, but the text says her household as well. Tonight we've each been challenged by the ancient record of Philippi and Lydia. I hope you and I too will have a fertile heart, always desirous of attending to the gospel. And when we hear something from the gospel that says we have been in the wrong, may we desire at once to repent. To change, to not be defensive and not to rationalize our behavior, but to change what we've been doing wrong, learn what to do that's right, and to fill our heart with those things that are righteous in the sight of God. This very night, if there's someone in this audience, perhaps you've never become a Christian. If not, let tonight be the night of your spiritual birthday, the 10th of December, 2017. The plan of salvation is the very thing Lydia obeyed, and it's the same thing you and I must obey. Believe Jesus to be the Son of God. Repent of your sins. Confess His name and be baptized. That's what she did. That's what we must do. If you need to do that tonight, don't delay. But if you have done that, and you have at least for a while known the faithfulness and the joy of service in the kingdom, but perhaps at this moment tonight, that doesn't describe you. Your heart hasn't been open to the gospel lately. Maybe it's been filled with things that the devil is putting there. And if so, you need to make a U-turn. Don't continue traveling that roadway. Come back to the Savior who died for you. He's beckoning you. He's calling you. Just like Paul received the Macedonian call, you and I have the gospel call, Second 2 Thessalonians 2.14. God is calling you. The Lord is beckoning you. He's beseeching you to come. And if tonight we could assist you in rededicating your life, it's not something we can do in terms of carrying it out. We can encourage you. We can pray to God for you. We can make note of your confession, and your repentance. But, of course, those works are left for you. And tonight, if we could help you in those ways, we'd love to do it. And we'd love to do it now while together we stand and while we sing.